has their first date at their parents' house. That I agree with. That was weird. When your father is George Stacy or Dennis Leary, for that matter, doesn't matter. <laughs> Are you insane? Yeah, that's, you know, actually that is trial by fire. She's smart that way. I think Peter's an idiot for going. I would have been like, I have anything else to do. I have a root canal. I have to go help somebody bury a body. Anything else. Yeah, well, see, he wasn't thinking with his head, you see. Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams Assemble. Happy 100, partner. Yay, we did it. We almost didn't realize we were doing it, but we managed it in time. Yeah, yeah. We should be (laughs) proud that it's not a belated happy 100th. This is true, because we would look ridiculous if a listener came to us and said, hey guys, you know, I just did a count. You know last week was your 100th episode, right? And yeah, (laughs) yeah, that would be a tough one to swallow. But yes, we are still shy of our uh, two-year anniversary on the air. But yes, we have officially hit 100 episodes today with our discussion of The Amazing Spider-Man. So this better be an amazing episode. (laughs) Yeah. And guys, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button on the podcast wherever you're listening. We've got some, you know, mushy kind of stuff that we want to say about our hundredth here, but we'll save that for the end because we know what you guys really want is to dive in the first Andrew Garfield installment. Indeed. So overall, I think this movie's fine. I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's all right. Yeah, me too. I actually liked it better the first time I saw it, not so much the second. Yes, same here. But my God, what a palate cleanser it still was for me after the Raimi trilogy. This is leaps and bounds for me better than any of those. Okay, fair enough. It's been ages since I've seen those movies, so I can't comment. Oh, oh, but she'll be seeing them again soon. Yes. Yes, she will. (laughs) I shall have my revenge. (laughs) Yeah, I was actually contemplating whether I should go watch No Way Home this weekend. But then I have too much homework to do if I have to watch No Way Home for that. I totally forgot that you still haven't seen that. Uh Uh-huh. It's on the agenda, everyone. Don't worry. Yeah, it is. And I still haven't even seen Amazing Spider-Man 2. So I have no idea what's happening after this movie. And that's good in a way for today's discussion. So much like we did with Eternals, we're going to do more of an overview with this movie, starting with the uh, general plot and overall structure that we have going on here. Right. So, Aim, you want to sum this up for us? Okay, so this is basically an origin story for Spider-Man. We have Peter, who went to Oscorp, got bitten. Not a fan of that scene, but anyways. Mm -mm, mm -mm, Nope. No. (laughs) I was actually wondering, how were you surviving this movie with the spiders Mm -mm. and the lizards? Through my fingers. There is a lot of (laughs) grotesque imagery in this movie. I must say, that scene where all the spiders are falling, at least some of them who fell on his head, at least they had had a soft cushion landing, you know? Man's got a good head of hair. Exactly. Yeah. So, ickiness aside, 
he got bitten and Peter developed his spidey powers and oh my god when he pulled that thread out of his neck yeah. I fucking gagged <laughs> yeah that that was done well that looked good in, in in a realistic but I do not want that to happen to me way yeah I can't deny that mm-hmm. and Uncle Ben died again <sighs> and so spider-man was born and in the middle of that a scientist decided to become a lizard and basically a spider and a lizard were fighting and the spider won yes and i do have a lot to say about kurt connors but there is another important aspect to this movie and that's the whole richard parker oscorp subterfuge kind of storyline mm-hmm. yeah i wish they would have played more into that they either should have gone farther with it or just left it out. It doesn't work very well. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest reasons is that I cannot believe that in 2012, Peter Parker, who is so smart and so tech savvy, and we see him as such, that he has never Googled information about his parents' deaths. You know, I actually wondered if he knew that they died. Because it left, they left it so vague. Like, did they just disappear? Yeah, it's, it's pretty murky. I don't know if they did that intentionally or not. Or if Ben and May didn't tell him what happened exactly. So he was sort of in the dark and never knew what to do. Or never knew what to look for. Yeah, and there are some problems with the relationships here between Peter and Ben and May and Ben. Mm-hmm. And May and Peter in terms of how much he knows and when, and honestly, even how much they know at times. Yeah, yeah. This doesn't seem to be a family that communicates very well. Yeah. Yeah, so don't get me wrong. There are things I really enjoy about this movie, but I do have some other issues and questions about this plot as we go. Overall, one of the things I really love about this movie is the score. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. And I don't want to say it does some heavy lifting because the movie isn't crap, you know, so I don't want to make it out to be like it is. But uh, there is one scene in particular. God, I just hated myself at the end of this movie with the crane scene. You know, when I was watching it, I loved the scene. I loved how heroic and cheesy it was. And I thought to myself, (laughs) and I thought to myself, if I say this on the podcast, Chris is going to rip me a new one. Chris is ripping herself a new one because she knows (laughs) she should hate this because it's cheesy as hell. It's absurd. But God damn it. I loved it. It works. It's like the ending of Armageddon where I'm like, fuck you, Bruce Willis, as I'm crying. (laughs) But that's the point of a superhero movie. You need that superhero cheesy moment. I know. I know. And speaking to that, the CGI in this movie is fantastic. The Spider-Manning action is great. Yeah. And it holds up really well. So that's saying something. Yeah. And, and like I mentioned, some really just gruesome imagery. Man, I don't need a rat in a feeding frenzy. No. Mutated rat. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and... But you know what was the worst for me was, yep, swallow that down. 
Connor's <laughs> regrowing his arm? Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. I actually thought that was really well done. It was. That doesn't make it less gross. It is, but it was it was fascinating. Of course it's fascinating to you. And, you know, he, being a scientist, obviously tried to touch the light bulb to see whether he has feeling in it, which was good. It was done well. Now, see, you call me a ghoul because of how much I love true crime, but you like shit like this. This is science. You are a <laughs> crazy person. Science versus forensic and clinical psychology. Thank you very much. Get off your high horse, miss. Okay, that's fine. But I'm not interested in murder. <laughs> I'm interested in the science. Now, as far as the, uh, the rest of some of these aesthetics go, you know, I've been to New York many times, into various parts of the city. I've seen pigeons, tons of them. I have seen uh, gross, disgusting mole people. The hell is that? <laughs> Just like gross people. Okay. And, you know, at Shea Stadium, the old Shea, you know, I once saw a rat the size of a small cat. But do you know what I've never seen around the streets of New York? Lizards? Ding, ding, ding. You win. <laughs> well, never. To be fair, lizards tend to hide. Still, they're flocking to him like the fucking penguin. It's a little insane. Yeah, that's something that I was not being able to understand. Like, is he their new overlord or something? <laughs> Yeah, I need a reason for that. Like, the penguin was the overlord of the penguins. Got it. And by that logic, shouldn't all the spiders follow Peter everywhere he goes? Like, is this... <laughs> oh, God, no, please. No, no, no. Don't you put know, that in my head. You know, Ant-Man, Spider-Man, army no. of ants and spiders. It would work well. <sighs> Not sleeping tonight. All right. <laughs> and the one other thing, I'm sorry, but... <sighs> Emma Stone's hair is awful. It's different in every scene, is what I'll say. Yeah, you know, she is, even though, you know, we mostly know her as a redhead because she looks amazing as a redhead, she is a natural blonde. Ah, okay. But there is a reason you don't see many grown women with platinum blonde hair. Because blondes get darker as they get older. Mm -hmm. So like I was platinum blonde till I was about four and that's when it started getting darker for me. Some of my cousins, it wasn't until they were teenagers that it started getting darker. It's very rare to see a white woman, I should say, who can pull off platinum blonde hair. Black women, every time I see a black woman with platinum blonde hair, she looks absolutely stunning. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> but yeah, this was too much. Like, let her be blonde. She can be blonde. Fine. But tone it the fuck down. Yeah, but you just mentioned that blondes, as they grow older, some of them, once they're teenagers, then they, their hair starts getting darker. So she is supposed to be playing a teenager. Supposed to be, being the key <sighs> word. Tall order there. But yeah, it doesn't look good. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit distracting, but it wasn't that bad that I was distracted through the movie. I was able to get past it. You say that now. Wait for the sequel. <laughs> we'll get there next week. You know, that is actually something that I'm worried about. That's that is why I put the disclaimer out there. I have not seen the second movie because if I say something <laughs> stupid, just you know, pretend 
that I had a brain fart or something, please. All right. So while we're talking about Emma Stone, let's segue into the general casting of this movie. So we will start with the man himself. So I think Andrew Garfield is an absolutely fantastic actor. I had mentioned that when I did my little mini episode on No Way Home in December, he recently in Tick, Tick, Boom on Netflix. Oh my God, he's amazing. Hacksaw Ridge, he had me sobbing through. Yes, I saw that movie. I saw it under protest. Don't judge me. You make compromises in marriage sometimes. I love it when there's nobody saying something and you're just defending <laughs> yourself like, you know, you just because murdered I'm someone. judging me because <laughs> I'm judging me for seeing a Mel Gibson movie long after I should not have. And I got to say, Garfield even plays a teenager very well. But that doesn't change the fact that he's 30. Yeah, that was my biggest sticking point with this movie. Neither does Andrew Garfield or Emma Stone look like they're teenagers. No, no, not by a long shot. And that was the biggest problem I had. Like at the point when he is playing a teenager and doing teenage stuff, it's making me feel like he's being a stupid man child, despite the fact that he's supposed to be a teenager. There's that conflict of what I see versus what I know. Mm hmm. Yeah, I feel like he should have been the original Spider-Man back in 2002 when he was 19. Mm -hmm. And even though I have some issues with Peter, the character, it's strictly the character. I think Garfield's performance is great. And as always with him, his accent is perfect. Right. And you can clearly see that he really put everything into the role. He always does. Yep. Yeah. He did a good job. They probably needed to de-age him or make him an older Spider-Man. Yet, I think they should have put him in graduate school. This shouldn't have been an origin story if they were going to go with him. Right. Or maybe have him a late bloomer. I mean, who the fuck knows? <laughs> a very late bloomer. <laughs> and, oh God, do I love Emma Stone. In everything she does. Yeah, she's great. The Help is one of my favorite movies, and she's a big reason why. I love that entire cast, but God, I love Skeeter. Mm -hmm. I want to be her, <laughs> even though I'm older than she was in that movie. I am okay. older than Emma Stone. Nonetheless, I want to be her. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's fantastic. I've now, seen The Help, but I can't remember seeing her anywhere else. But nonetheless. Okay, so you had the problem of kind of being taken out of the movie and being distracted by garfield's age i had less of a problem with that because his performance as a teenager is so solid my trouble comes with the chemistry between andrew garfield and emma stone they're great oh yeah they're too good <laughs> how could you be too good i'll tell you why because not only are they too good but i am watching this again i've seen it you know when it came out but their real life relationship was well publicized at the time. So watching this, their chemistry takes me out of the movie because I don't see two teenagers in like this young love type of thing. I see two grown adults who have definitely rolled around naked together and enjoyed it very much. Well, it's a good thing that it helped for the movie, right? 
It did because the relationship needed help in that regard. It's it's both a problem and something that bolsters the movie because mm -hmm. the relationship is lacking on paper and their chemistry does a lot of heavy lifting there. Yeah, it does. And I think that's why you can pass off some of the stuff that mm -hmm. shouldn't that otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah. Oh, and now we get to the bits of, of casting here that absolutely break my heart. I adore Martin Sheen. Me too. Oh, Josiah Bartlett is one of my favorite TV characters of all time. I spent four years wishing that man was actually the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. And I hate, I hate the fact that he's in this movie because I do not like this Ben Parker at all. And it's not a performance issue. It's a matter of poor direction and a weird script that I will get to. I think he did a good job with what he had. He did. I mean, you mm -hmm. can certainly feel the love between the family. Absolutely. No problems with the performance. And got to say, him and Sally Field both also more age appropriate, not entirely age appropriate, but more age appropriate than Cliff Robertson and Rosemary Harris were. And I'm equally upset about the casting of Sally Field because how do you do this to Sally Field? She's got nothing to do. But even with nothing to do, she expresses so much in her, in, with her because face. Because she's Sally Field. Yeah, she's fantastic. I love her. So I have learned in the course of my own uh, podcast listening that she actually took this role as a favor to a friend who was, I believe, a producer on the movie and the friend was dying. Oh. Yeah. And she did this part as a favor knowing it was crap. She's had some things to say about these movies. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's kind of nice of her to do that, to take it for a friend. She probably was clearly unhappy with it. She did her best. And that's commendable. Oh, yes. Yes, because Sally Field is nothing but a consummate professional. Mm-hmm. And now we've got two guys that are going to keep me tongue-tied for the rest of this episode. I apologize in advance. Okay, <laughs> try this. We've got, and I, if I mispronounce either of these, I'm sorry, everyone. Amy's already caught me once. Reese Ifans as Kurt Connors and Irfan Khan as Ratha, the head of Oscorp. Did I get it? Not bad. Good job. Yay. As far as Reese Afan goes, I have no idea what nationality that guy is. Is it Reese or Rice? I don't know. I'm trying. See, there's a reason why I never say these names, even though I have IMDb open, you know? It's very confusing. <laughs> she just lets me take the hits, everybody. Yeah, yeah. I, I hide behind her. <laughs> so as far as Reese Afan goes, I never heard of this guy before. I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything else. I like his performance. And like you said with Martin Sheen, for what he's given. Yeah. I don't know why he's blonde either. He's actually blonde. Is he? God, yeah. it looks weird. I know. I thought it was weird too. And I'm someone who doesn't notice this shit. So that's his real hair, huh? Yeah. That's not a wig? No. I mean, it may be a wig, but he's actually blonde. Oh, poor guy. I went through his IMDb to check. I mean, it's gotten darker over the years, but he has played like proper blonde blonde. Okay. So along with 
Irfan Khan as Ratha, Connors, he, they constitute a villain problem that I think this movie has. And even though I've seen Irfan Khan and other things, um, he's good. I wouldn't have cast him in this role. I don't think he was right for it. I think a lot of his stuff has probably been cut out. You don't get Irfan Khan for like a two minute role, which is essentially what he had. And he's too high yeah. in the cast list to be just that, you know, just an instigator to, to bring things to a head. That's a good point. Yeah, because we're going to see him like vanish from the movie. Correct. I feel like they had more with him, but they cut it out. Or they just forgot about him after the first half of the movie. Yeah, I think the cuts are more likely. Mm -hmm. It's a good call. And now we come to finally the proper age appropriateness of a role here. Dennis Leary. Just love him as George Stacey. He was perfect. Yeah, he was pretty good. Okay, listeners, I need help. So, you know, I'm very bad with names. And I have gone through this dude's IMDb and I do not recognize any of the stuff that I've seen him in, but he looks familiar. Does he look like someone yeah. else? <laughs> the reason Amy has not seen any of his work is because Amy doesn't like comedies and Dennis Leary is a comedian. Why would you out me like that? <laughs> do you know the impression people get when someone says, I do not like comedy? That this person is either crazy or a sociopath. You throw me under the bus all the time. Deal with the tire marks. This is, this is the partner I have. This is the partner I chose. Okay. 100 episodes strong. <laughs> Legally bound to me. <laughs> Dennis Leary has carved out a nice niche for himself over the years as playing, you know, the Irish tough guy, but with a brain. And that's why I ended up liking George Stacey a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah, he's good. But again, I have a problem with the way his character just does a 180 at the end. I did at first too, but then the more I thought about it, the more okay I was with it. We'll get there. Okay, you're going to have to convince me on that. I'm not. I'm not sold. And that's fair. And last and definitely least, this guy playing Flash Thompson, what are we doing here? He looks like a goddamn MMA fighter. He's a good looking guy. Yeah. He is, but he's 25 and jacked. Yeah. I mean, if you can have Andrew Garfield as a teenager, you can have him as Flash. It works. I think the only accurately cast person in that entire school was the girl with the glasses who was doing the painting. Yes. Yes, I agree with you. And I could see what they tried to do with Flash to make him look younger, but putting him in those baggy clothes does not hide his UFC body. <laughs> Teenage boys don't look like this. Well, yeah. Garfield gets away with it more because he's a string bean. He's got muscle there, yeah, but he's got that very... And that's one of the reasons that so many of us knew immediately that it was him in Spider-Man No Way Home is because he's got that build, that slim build with the long legs. Mm-hmm. That's why he also looks taller than he actually is. Okay. Yeah, but Flash, I mean, I would not have been opposed to a shirtless scene with him. Man, I just, I will never find that through line for you. It's my elusive <laughs> white whale. <laughs> Amy's sexual attraction through line. I'll never fucking find it. Maybe by the 200th episode you would. That chance. <laughs> 
oh, you know what? I'm wrong. There was just one last bit of casting. It was when they got to the bridge scene and, you know, Peter saving that kid. I said to myself, see, Thomas Howell, what are you doing in this movie? Did you get lost and wander over from the set of some shitty network drama? What happened? (laughs) Well, by the end of the movie, you figured out why. Indeed. But you know what? For a minute there, because his son in this movie is named Jack. I went down this rabbit hole in my mind because C. Thomas Howell played one of the main antagonists on Criminal Minds, this crazy serial killer called the Reaper. and. He, of course, because this always happens, uh, serial killers always go after the cops that are, you know, (laughs) hunting them. He goes after Thomas Gibson's son, who is named Jack. And I just went down this, like, this crazy Alice rabbit hole in my head and said, okay, stop it. Enough distraction. Wait, wait, I'm, I'm getting one division flashbacks. All right, so let's talk about our characters here. We'll go in a little bit of a different order. So to get him out of the way, like we did with casting. So Flash Thompson is clearly portrayed as this dumb jock bully. Am I right? Mm-hmm. What's he doing at Midtown Science High? He shouldn't be at this school. Why? Because this is the actual Midtown Science High. This is a school you have to apply to get into. This is the school for the Peters and the Gwens of the world. Okay. It makes no sense for Flash Thompson to be in this movie, especially when we see Gwen putting him in his place, talking about getting tutored, that he's having major problems with school. He has no business in this incarnation being in this movie. And he's kind of pivotal to the movie in some ways, which is why I'm harping on it a little bit. Well, in the movie, we do glean that he has had some kind of trauma and which is why he's acting out so you don't know maybe he was smart and then something has happened with him like some he lost someone and now he's acting out and that's why he's being the way he is and aside from that his whole friend circle if you're saying that midtown high is supposed to be for the peters and the gwens then that entire group of people who were playing along while he was bullying that kid it wouldn't he wouldn't have a group like that so they may have taken the name to make it seem like a super smart school but they're playing it as a regular school yeah it's a problem Mm -hmm. so moving on here oh aunt may is not a character in this movie she's just not she isn't we don't even know what her job is true We don't even know what Ben's job is. We do not. No. She just gets nothing. Yeah, I agree. Of her own in this movie. She's never even seen grieving her husband. All we see her do is cook and do laundry. And wait up for Peter. Right. And we'll talk more about this next week for sure. Ismay is clearly shown to be not too bright. You know, I think maybe it's because of the actor playing her or maybe perhaps they have cut scenes out or something. I feel like she knows more than she's letting on. Again, haven't seen the second movie. Yeah, she doesn't. (laughs) I can tell you that right now. Definitely doesn't. Okay. I would like to believe that she knows more than she's letting on. (laughs) 
because that would otherwise would hurt me very badly. Yeah, she doesn't even have an inkling that Peter could be Spider-Man, despite all the bruises, despite the staying out to all hours, despite the fact that Spider-Man came about after Ben died. I mean, things are adding up here. Yeah, you know, that's actually a thing. Like, even when Peter's having his cereal and the news is on, first of all, why do you have a TV in your kitchen? But anyways, you have the news on and they issue an arrest warrant for spider-man and he just leaves she looks at him and she looks at the tv it's like they're telling us she's connecting the dots but she's not actually saying it is the way i took it yeah she's not (laughs) why you're gonna have to let that go (laughs) why not let me have that delusion for a little while longer because if not if she's not being able to connect the dots, then if you look at Peter's behavior throughout the movie, especially after he got bitten, any parent would think that something is seriously wrong with their child. Either he's abusing drugs or alcohol. Look at his behavior. If you take the way Andrew Garfield is acting in this movie and you see how jumpy he is, how he's hiding things, and of course the bruises and all of that, and coming back late, and this complete attitude change after Ben dies. It, Mm -hmm. If this was not a Spider-Man movie, this would have been a movie of a young teenage boy getting influenced and suffering through drug or alcohol abuse. Mm -hmm. And you know what really kills me with, May's character, or lack thereof, is that in terms of women's representation, I think they did a fantastic job with Gwen Stacy. Mm-hmm. So how do you drop the ball so hard with May? But you see, my dear, there's only space for one strong woman in every movie. And it's unfortunate that so many screenwriters and producers and directors actually subscribe to that ridiculous notion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... On that note, before we get into Gwen, let's talk about the Parker family a little bit here and this triangle of relationships here. So one of the things that took me out of the movie, and you know, this might be a cultural thing, being from North Jersey, spending a lot of time in the city over the years, others may not have noticed this, but Peter, Aunt May, and Uncle Ben do not act like native New Yorkers. I just found it so noticeable. Why? Number one, Peter, you never, ever go to sleep on the subway. Never. And as far as Ben goes, dude, nine o'clock ain't the middle of the night. Yeah. People walk home all the time. Yeah, that was something that I thought was a bit weird. Oh, this whole thing with, with picking up May... This is where the script got weird and everything gets blown totally out of proportion in order to create this whole setup. Yeah. I mean, they should have taken it as something else. Maybe maybe she was hurt or something happened. Then it would justify the blow up. Yes, because here's the thing. And this is this is what I was saying about Flash Thompson. So so the setup for this is that Ben's already pissed at Peter. Because earlier in the day, Peter got in major trouble at school. Mm -hmm. And like from from the get, I have problems with this. So Peter accidentally broke the backboard in the gym 
accidentally, and he didn't hurt anybody, but he gets in huge trouble. However, Flash Thompson savagely assaulted two people in front of a huge crowd of witnesses and never faces any repercussions for it. And we have been here, like, reinforcing this, getting on Peter's ass about what he did, saying, did you humiliate that boy? And just really calling him out for this. And I'm like, wait, hold up here. Number one, defend your kid, because Flash is a violent, aggressive piece of shit. Number two, I feel like Ben and thus the movie are saying, well, that kind of violence, you know, being done by the pretty blonde white boy is totally fine. But don't you humiliate him. Oh, that's just wrong. We can't be humiliating these big, strong men. It's the humiliation that is shown to be the greater sin. Right. I didn't think of it in this way. I thought of it as more like Ben trying to teach Peter that it's not okay to try to go for revenge in terms of an eye for an eye and things like that. Whereas with Flash not getting any repercussions, it's not surprising because he's a jock. This actually reminded me of a post I just read a couple of weeks ago where, and this actually happened, where a bunch of girls were suspended from school because they pushed some boys out of the girls' bathroom. The guys, the boys, weren't punished. The girls were because they physically pushed them out of the bathroom. And that is absurd. It is. But that's the same logic being applied over here. I don't think this is so much as being told to us as just this is normal and this would have passed off. It's not it's not thought of. And that's the problem. Yeah. So it's not so much about Flash as it is about Peter, rather Ben, trying to teach Peter a lesson. Yeah. And the the setup for it is just all wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sticking with this whole blow up. All right. Peter forgets to pick up his aunt. And I just hate the rest of this. And again, this is going to be not only the script, but this is poor direction. Because Martin Sheen is a fantastic actor. So this is a director having him go the wrong way with this. Instead of his blow up coming off as concerned husband, it comes off as very misogynistic. Yeah, I agree. That this woman cannot take care of herself. And on top of it, are you telling me that, buddy, you're walking... 12 blocks every night, year round, to pick up your wife from work? Are you insane? This is Queens. This isn't Manhattan. Where the hell's your car? If May safety is that important for you, you're going to have a car. I don't care what your jobs are. You're going to put the money aside. And like I said before, it's not that late for New York. And it comes off as if May is just not capable of taking care of herself in any way. For fuck's sake, call a cab for one night. Yeah, I agree. And the way Ben screams at her, you will not defend this boy. Ugh. As if he has committed some egregious mortal sin. It's just so over the top. Really rankled me. Yeah, it is over the top. And I agree with you. 9 p.m. is not too late. I mean... I was actually confused as to why the big blow up was happening because it's not like Peter had a car. 
that he forgot to pick her up and then she had to come come back on her own. She was going to come on the subway on her own, right? Yeah. And the thing is, if you don't want your wife walking out that late, you shouldn't want your your 17-year-old nephew out that late either. Exactly. Which makes it more misogynistic because she's the little woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they could have gone in a different way and made it seem like that is something this couple does. Every evening, they come back home from work together. And today she came back home alone. She didn't need someone to pick her up from work and bring her home. She has her own legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this whole, you know, back and forth about Peter's father, the how dare you, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't. Because we don't have any kind of foundation of friction between them. If anything, we have the opposite. We have Peter earlier in the movie saying, you know, you're a pretty good dad. Yeah, exactly. So that is why his sudden change, and this is after the bite, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's all over the place right now and he's lashing out. So this is why it makes it seem more like he's high on something than he is getting superpowers. Yeah. And you would think at some point May would ask him that, are you on drugs? Are you drinking in that, you know, boomer kind of way that they ask those kinds of questions, which she never does. Right. In fact, they also say, oh, something is wrong. He likes your meatloaf. They're passing it off as a joke. It should have been a red flag at that point, And they should have done something about it earlier, considering how Ben has been so almost overbearing with the way Pete has been behaving with school. Yeah, that's the right word. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up that scene of Peter pulling all that food out of the fridge. That's the only reason I want to be a superhero. I don't want to fly. I don't want x-ray vision. I don't want to be able to do magic. I just want to be able to eat whatever I want as much as I want. I don't need any powers. I just want some pizza. (laughs) Is that too much to ask? See, my first thought was, what if I get superpowers where I can heal you so you can have your pizza? Then I can go around healing everybody. Now, see, that shows you how much the little fat kid inside of me is still there because, <laughs> and my lack of common sense, because I should have just thought of, no, no, Krista, you want self-healing so you can fix your body and everything that's wrong with it and then be able to eat food. This is why we compliment each other. <laughs> so since I mentioned the Parkers not having a car, here's a question. If they can't even afford that, Because there are some allusions to the fact that, you know, money's tight or whatever. Where the hell is Peter getting the money for this Oscorp web cable? Yeah. That shit has to cost a fortune. Yeah, it should. And the only explanation I could come up with on my own was like, maybe Ben's life insurance was really good. Um, it wasn't. I can tell you that. We'll get there next week. It definitely wasn't. God damn it. <laughs> this is fun. Just popping every bubble that you have today. I don't like you right now. This is, <laughs> I'm trying to make sense of the bad stuff. Let me have this. <laughs> every time Peter shot one of his webs, I was freaking out because I'm like, how much does each strand cost him? Well, then maybe he stole it. I don't know. It sure seemed like the package got delivered to the house. I know. That's the only explanation (laughs) I had, you know, life insurance. Nope. I don't know whether I should say fuck you or fuck you movie too. 
I'm just doing what the movie is already going to do to you. I'm softening the blow. Thank you, I guess. So before I pop any more of Amy's bubbles here, you guys know that I am the resident ghoul of this podcast. I lack any and all common sense, but I can tell you exactly how many boys John Wayne Gacy had under his floorboards. If you're of the same old, you'll want to check out the Ye Old Crime Podcast. Do you love true crime, but are looking for something different? It sounds like a sitcom. It does. The Benders. The kind of assholes you should probably leave them alone. Do you like learning about cases so off the wall they can't possibly be true? Her wig is enormous, but it is lifted off her head by a monkey. Do you love history, but want to hear about what they didn't teach you in school? It's just got a almost where you hang your horns sign. <laughs> Do you like laughing awkwardly about cases that are bizarre and a little strange? They'd be able to wield so many knives with all of their little arms. <laughs> Then we have the podcast for you. Join me, Lindsay. And me, Madison, for Ye Old Crime. Where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. Listen every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. All right, so let's take a little break from the Parkers here and talk about Ms. Gwen Stacy. A breath of fresh air. Yeah. She's a character, Amy. She's a character. She is, indeed. And she knows her own mind. She certainly does. She has agency and a life of her own, completely separate from Peter. Yep. And she is the first one to really put Flash in his place. And I love the way she does this. She diffuses a violent situation very calmly with words. The power of women. Mm -hmm. Emotional intelligence, people. Yeah, and she also kind of brings him down a couple notches. Mm-hmm. And she is also shown to be even smarter than Peter because she's number one in the class. He's number two. Yeah, and she's obviously the intern over there at Oscorp. It's great that there's never any animosity between them about that. Peter has nothing but respect for her as a student, respect for her as an equal. Yeah. Although I wasn't a fan of him taking her pictures without her knowledge. Wait till the sequel. <laughs> okay, at this point, should I just stop talking? <laughs> no, it's more fun this way, at least for me. So you, you mentioned Gwen being an intern here. Yes, she is an intern for Oscorp. But here's the thing. 17-year-old um, interns make coffee. They take lunch orders. They do some basic like data entry type stuff. They do not give tours of highly sensitive research facilities. True. And that's why it looks like it makes sense with Emma Stone being as old as she is. But there's that conflict of she shouldn't be actually doing that as a 17-year-old. Yes. And it is the power of Emma Stone that I could go to a museum, I could go to a lab, and she could be the tour guide. And I would believe every word she said, even if it was utter nonsense. Okay. Well, such as the... Extent of my scientific knowledge as well. <laughs> yeah, this is not science. This is mumbo jumbo. Yes. Well, I mean, it has to be to a certain extent. Yeah. And Gwen, like I said, is an equal in every way. She does as she pleases. Nobody tells this girl what to do. And, you know, overall, she is a hero in her own right. She shares the hero duties with Peter. She absolutely does. And also, 
even though we know she has a crush on him, she has no problem telling him to shut up and get out. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't become a doormat just because the boy she likes smiles at her. Yeah. And what's good here, too, is we have two people who are also on uh, equal ground in terms of attractiveness. <laughs> right. I don't like another trilogy where I look at two people and go, uh-uh, nope, not happening. <laughs> and, you know, there are some people who might see the final action sequence of this movie as Gwen being sidelined, but I don't see it that way at all. Yeah, I don't see it either. When do you think she was sidelined? I don't, but I know there are some people out there who feel that way. Some women out there who who feel like that. And uh, the reason I don't see it like that is because, as we said, she is a hero getting these people out of Oscorp, working on the antidote and the distribution while Peter is going after Lizard. But then she's taken out of the final action by her father, Captain Stacy, who shows up. And this makes perfect sense to me. She is not being put in that patrol car because she's a woman or even because she is anybody's daughter. She's put in there because she's a civilian and she has no business in this situation. And that's one of the reasons I like George Stacey as much as I do, because he's always cop first. Yeah, true. And if she would have been around, she would have only been a liability. Exactly. Because she doesn't have superpowers or training. Correct. And Lizard could have potentially used her against Peter. What? What do you mean? Villains use women <laughs> against superheroes? This is the first time hearing about this. <laughs> I can hear the bitterness oozing. <laughs> I imagine, though, George Stacy was probably like, you know, when I signed up to serve and protect, what does it quite mean in this? <laughs> Yeah, so while we're on this between Gwen and her father, we need to talk about the Stacy family for a minute. Uh-huh. Because these people, to say these people are fictional is an understatement. No, this family does not exist. Why? No. Do you see this urban palace that they live in, in the middle of Manhattan? It was a nice house. Yeah, sure. A nice... Did you see those floors? Yeah. Gwen's room alone is bigger than many New Yorkers' entire apartments. Uh-huh. They are not living in this castle on a cop's salary, even a captain's. Absolutely not. And two, you get the vibe that the wife is a stay-at-home mom mm -hmm. um, with all those kids. So unless there's family money involved, which I need to know about if there is to buy this, then it's not happening. Do you know what else doesn't happen? What? Little boys don't sit down for formal Branzino dinners at 8 p.m. <laughs> and you know what, movie? Stop shaming me, okay? No, I don't know what Branzino is. And saying it 27 times isn't going to help me. <laughs> look, I don't know what Branzino is, but all I know is that fish looked really tasteless. There was no seasoning on it. No, no. And the fanciest thing these little boys should be eating is like, you know, I don't believe in, in throwing kids chicken nuggets and pizza every night. God, no. But they're not eating this fancy formal food, you know, that, like homemade mac and cheese. Why not? I would have eaten that. This is America. No. Oh, okay, I'm a bit confused. Are you angry that they're well-behaved <laughs> eating good food or that 
I mean, this is this is sounding a bit like jealousy to me over here. No, they are. Uh, believe me, I was. I do not now, or have I ever wished to eat fish for dinner? No, they're just not realistic. And this is partly me coming from a background where I was in childcare for an, a lot of years. This is eight p.m. like on a weeknight. These kids should be in pajamas. You're, you're not doing this. It was a formal occasion. No, see, I didn't see it that way. You get the sense that this is a really normal thing for them. Do you? You do. I did at least. Because too, this is set up and in place before she even invites Peter. She just tells him, be at this address at eight o'clock. Right. It was supposed to probably be like, oh, mom's cooking Branzino today. It's a special occasion. So I'll call my hopefully to be boyfriend for to impress him. I don't know. Who the hell has their first date at their parents' house? That I agree with. That was weird. When your father is George Stacy or Dennis Leary, for that matter, doesn't matter. <laughs> Are you insane? Yeah, that's, you know, actually that is trial by fire. She's smart that way. I think Peter's an idiot for going. I would have been like, I have anything else to do. I have a root canal. I have to go help somebody bury a body. Anything else. Yeah, well, see, he wasn't thinking with his head, you see. Yeah, yeah. And that <laughs> again, that's where I have to tell myself. There were a number of times in this movie where I had to literally tell myself, remember, they are teenagers. Exactly. But man, this dinner, this dinner tension, not that it's the same dynamic, but this tension at the dinner is done so well, reminds me of the car scene in Homecoming. Yeah, it's done really well. I agree. Yeah, I felt the nerves watching this and not in a good way <laughs> because <laughs> I've been Gwen in that moment. I think a lot of women out there have been Gwen in that moment. And for me, it was much more intense and toxic, potentially aggressive time. It took me back to places I didn't want to go to. So good on the movie for that level of realism. Yeah, see, that's the reason why I never brought anyone I was ever interested in at home. I avoided this whole situation. Well, in my case, you can't avoid it when you marry the jackass. True. Yeah. Oh, oh, the mistakes of youth. And you know what I really appreciate about the tension is it's never a generational thing. It's not older man giving younger man the business. Then that's the way it comes off between Ben and Peter. Correct. With George. It's always cop to child. Yeah. And also he isn't being all overprotective of if you hurt my child, I'll hurt you kind of thing. It's none of that. It's purely ideology. Right. He And thank God he is not one of those assholes who, you know, holds a gun over his daughter's virginity. Uh-huh. Yeah. Much appreciated. Yeah. And he's a loving father, clearly. We see that later on with the Coco as well. He is. Yes, yes. Speaking of which, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, I want your take on this. Uh -huh. I never know how to feel when it comes to this stuff. So because Peter's a psycho, uh, he's daring <laughs> to be in Gwen's room. And that was another thing. Use the front fucking door. Have you lost your mind? You're at, at that house for the first time. You go in her window. Like, dude. Yeah. True. I agree. Yep. At least for the first time, but yes. here, yes. So this isn't dinner. This is a different night. And in order to keep her father out of her room, 
Quentin tells him, and Emma Stone does a great job selling this. Oh, cramps. Oh, oh, it's bad. Oh, it's just ter- Oh, yeah. Mm, stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Girl stuff. <laughs> and of course, he's like, okay, yep, got it. Yep, I'm gone. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, this is certainly not the I'm first a- time I've seen it being used in, in any TV show or movies. Right. I'm of two minds about it. I would say if it was the father saying that, oh, like, you know, you're being PMSing kind of thing, then I would be totally pissed. Mm -hmm. But she's using his own discomfort for her advantage. Exactly. It's empowering in that way. Yeah, it's empowering. And it's one of those things that we all do at some point, right? Like we like men tend to assume so much about women. And sometimes you just kind of play into that in order to get what you want. Yeah. So then that becomes the question, is it right to use sexism that's used against us back on them? Because the problem is, in a way, it also kind of reinforces that bullshit. You know, I know. Yeah, I know. It, it's a tough thing. Yeah. In a perfect world, it's wrong. But sometimes that's the only language guys like that know. You're exactly right. And here's the other reason I hate it. Because sometimes they're fucking right. Because yes, we do get our period every month. Yes, we do get cramps. We can get bitchy. Yes, we retain water. And it sucks. And there are times when, you know, a guy can bring that up and you can't get mad because it's true. And that is just infuriating. Yeah, I mean, if he brings it up, genuinely knowing okay you're going through a tough time that's fine but if he brings it up as an excuse to invalidate what you're saying that's a dick move or in the case of of some men who shall go unnamed who may or may not reside in my home um they never miss the genuine opportunity each month to complain about what an inconvenience my period is to them it really is amazing. Why is it an inconvenience for him? Jesus, baby, you oh. have got to get laid. Oh. <laughs> if you had to even ask that question, oh my God. I mean, it's been a while, clearly. You <laughs> Come know. On. I thought that was it, but I thought maybe that's wrong. I mean, it's a it's a like what? Five or six days. No. Come on, dude, suck it up. Men. Men. <laughs> Men. Okay, so let's get back to Peter a little bit, and we'll get more into Peter and Gwen's relationship. So I have mixed feelings about this Peter Parker. Yeah, me too, you know? Yeah, so, and this isn't a performance thing, it's a a character thing. Garfield's great, but at times, Peter is just a little too quirky and emo for me, but I find those kids annoying in real life, so that's that's to be expected. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is Andrew Garfield's choice to go that way or if it was written that way. Mm -hmm. And I knew you would appreciate this watching the movie, too. I love how much we see Peter practically using his brain, learning and applying skill. Yeah, true. And him creating his own suit in that way, it made a lot of sense, along with the web thingies. Yeah, I really enjoyed seeing him work on his projects and put all that effort in, too. There was an emotional connection for me there in terms of how much effort he was putting in. Yeah, he's not a dumb dumb who got lucky. 
No. And, you know, it made me think, I would totally watch Andrew Garfield play like a young Doc Brown in the series. I think he could pull that off. Okay. I mean, he has the hair. Man's got nice hair. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of well, jealous. He's got a lot of it. Yeah. 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 I'm jealous. But above all else, the thing I appreciate most about this Peter story is how much we see him struggling with his newfound strength and powers, like the the sink pulling yeah. everything off, the toothpaste. Yeah. And they 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 take it for a good walk. They really do. Showing him adjusting to these this new reality and abilities that he has. They do a solid job of showing that it wouldn't be all sunshine and rainbows at first. Exactly. Yeah. We see him struggle and especially with the hypersensitivity. That's something mm-hmm. that he needs to get used to. And we don't tend to see that in origin stories. We only see we tend to see the fun side of it. Right. And this is something we talked about in our episode on Captain America the First Avenger. Right. Of how we we really don't see Steve struggle at all with that new reality. They don't it, it's a great movie, don't get me wrong, but that's not something they choose to make time for. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot in that movie to address so they don't yes. really have the time over there even though it's a it's an origin story there is far more for him it's captain america the first avenger is not only an origin story it's a coming of age story for steve as well whereas this is mm-hmm. more the, primarily an origin story for spider-man right so they've got more time to devote exactly okay i have a question where the hell do you find these abandoned warehouses in all these superhero movies, they always find these abandoned warehouses where they can play around and learn their powers. It's Queens. You can find some abandoned properties out there, some condemned oh. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's one of the superpowers that we just never see. Find abandoned places. I mean, Daredevil sure knows that. <laughs> it's the same way they managed to find vats, open vats of things and uh, <laughs> dangerous test sites. Uh huh. Yeah. So, on the on the flip side to all those positives of Peter, uh, a lot of the times I find him too arrogant and flippant for my liking. It, it really bothers me when he destroys that restaurant's like whole outdoor seating area and just walks away. I don't think he destroyed it so much as he made a mess of it. He didn't break anything, at least from what I recall. It looked like he broke some glass tables. Okay. All right. I could be wrong. But yeah, I didn't have too much of a problem with that because it was an accident. Sure. I did have a problem with his overall motivations. Yeah, that's a problem here. Yeah, we haven't gotten into that yet. But yeah, big problem. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the comedy didn't work for me. It makes him seem kind of douchey. What comedy? See? No, I'm seriously asking you. I mean, I'm not trying to make a point. Oh, but I guess that is the point, isn't it? Is that there are a, lot, a bunch of times where he's supposed to be funny, where he's he's making these jokes and being sarcastic, and I didn't find any of it funny. He just came off like kind of a dick. Yeah, yeah, he does. But I would understand that realistically because he's a superhero and he's a teenager. I guess it doesn't totally match for me. With the way he is in the rest of the movie, Mm -hmm. there's a disconnect. There is a disconnect with his character, for sure, yes. Yeah. I mean, the way he treats Aunt May, especially 
when she's waiting up for him. You know, he tells her you don't yeah. have to wait, which I get that. Like, he doesn't want mm-hmm. her to wait as a teenager. But she has a point. She just lost her husband. Yeah. Which they never mentioned. Yeah. She's never brought up again. Yeah. In fact, she was about to, but he shuts her up by screaming. Yeah. So what you're saying about his motivations, let's get into this. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's something missing in terms of like understanding Peter's moral compass in this movie. I can't connect with it. Like it never feels like he misses Ben. He He's doing this. He's hunting these guys who all look alike for Ben, but it never feels like he misses them. Something's lacking. It doesn't feel like his life is affected at all without Ben. Yeah. I mean, from a practical st- standpoint, I get what you're saying. I feel like there are certain points where if this wasn't a Spider-Man movie, this could have been a villain origin story. Yeah. You know, because on one hand, yes, we need something to instigate Peter to become Spider-Man because after getting the powers that he has. But it doesn't feel like it's earned because, yes, Mm -mm. he's trying to get revenge on whoever it is that killed Ben, but that's quickly forgotten. Yeah. And in the end, what they end up doing is they kind of like split the guilt, like split the motivation because Peter ends up feeling more guilty because he's the one who gave Connors the equation that allowed him to become lizard and try to turn the entire city into lizards. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. It waters down the emotional resonance. Yeah, it does. And The conversation with Captain Stacy at his home is actually more important than just having your boyfriend over for the first time and having that conflict. It's helping him realize that he thinks he's doing a good job. He thinks he's trying to save people, but he isn't. That's his justification for his own Mm -hmm. vendetta. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Stacy says. He calls it a vendetta. Yeah. And I think that is the turning point for Peter where he gives up on that because immediately after that, then things get crazy with the lizard. Had they given him a little more time to go through that and reflect on that, it would have been more convincing. It would have sold us on the fact that he's trying to look at the bigger picture now. Right. And the other problem I have with his motivations are the setup for it. Mm -hmm. So it's the same problem I had with the first Raimi movie, where this robbery that instigates Ben's death, this is not Peter's problem. A teenager is not under any obligation to intervene in an armed robbery. Right. And this is where I also hate Ben again. I can't stand this character. I'm not even sorry he's dead after how he acted. I can't connect to that. He's like playing Mr. American Hero here going for the gun. This is New York. This is not how a native New Yorker would behave. You see a robbery going down, you get out of the way. You you get the other way. You get mugged, you pull five bucks that you keep in your pocket out of there, whatever. You give it up, nothing's worth your life. There are certain rules to living in, in New York, especially when you're there your whole life. You don't try to play hero, especially when you're a man in his 60s. You know, cops exist for a reason. And then what really makes this all even weirder 
is we'll really dissect the ending of this, but Ben's final voicemail, the one we finally hear at the end of the movie that he left for Peter, it is completely incongruous with the way Ben acted that same day. Yeah, that is not a voicemail. That is Uncle Ben from heaven giving him divine, divine blessing. Yes, that is screenwriting monologue in quotes. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. It does not match with anything going on at that time. No, and also just nobody talks like that. (laughs) Come on. And especially this Ben Parker doesn't talk like that. Yeah. And who the hell calls their kid uh, their hero? Nobody. Do you want behavioral problems for the rest of your life? Yeah, unless your kid is like being a champ through like cancer treatment or something super traumatic like that, or they experience some kind of assault, like that's a different thing. But this kid hasn't done shit. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Peter and Gwen some more. So we've talked about the chemistry and the good and the bad of that. The biggest problem I have, though, is Peter confiding his identity to Gwen. I don't like the fact that she knows for most of this movie. Yeah, I don't like it either, considering they've not actually even been on a first date. There you go. That's what I'm saying. And yeah, and rather they were on the date, which was going pretty badly. Yeah. Yeah. There's no foundation for this relationship. We don't see them spending any time together leading up to this, like just doing stuff kids do. Yeah. So for him to tell her he's Spider-Man, that level of trust hasn't been earned. The only explanation I could come up with, or rather even the way Andrew Garfield was playing it, was that he wasn't thinking with his head. He's also being selfish as hell. He is. And it's, it's not just selfish, it's pride, it's arrogance. He's trying to impress her. I saw it in a different way. That may be part of it. But I also saw it as he just had to tell somebody. Mm-hmm. Especially after what he just went through at dinner with her father. He just wants a little bit of validation. And that's normal for anybody. He feels as if he's doing what he needs to do out there. He's being misunderstood. and. He needs to tell somebody he needs an ally, but he's only thinking about himself. Yeah. Because this is a really shitty position to put Gwen in. Yeah, it is. Especially after knowing who her dad is. Right. Like, dude, you've just made her an accessory. True. But I don't think he was thinking about all of that. The way it's portrayed, it seems like he was just trying to impress her. He wasn't thinking. Well, in terms of the writing of it and the place it comes from, I feel like this is, you know, building Peter's arc at the expense of Gwen. They want to give Peter an ally, but the potential for this to be a real problem for Gwen is there. No, they don't go there, but the potential should have been acknowledged. She could have ended up having to choose between him and her family, Mm -hmm. or like I said, be an accessory to this. You know, when we see everything that happens in the Tom Holland MCU trilogy, he doesn't outright tell anybody. It happens by accident. Right. And in that, MJ figures it out. Right. 
right? Because she's too damn smart for her own good. <laughs> but what I do like about this, if they if they were dead set on writing it this way, which which obviously they were, I appreciate that Gwen is just as interested in Peter being Spider-Man from a scientific perspective as she is from a personal and romantic perspective. Right. Yeah. And clearly she's been working with with Connors and yeah. she knows about the stuff. Yeah, like she asks him the kinds of questions I imagine you would ask someone <laughs> if you found out they were Spider-Man. Just meanwhile, I'd be asking other questions because, you know, superpowers would have some perks. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we really are the complete opposites in this aspect of each other, aren't we? <laughs> I also like that this relationship is very much a choice for both of them. Gwen can say she accepts the risk of being with him, but Peter's perfectly free to say, I'm not comfortable putting anyone in that kind of potential danger or I can't have the distraction. Like you can't make somebody be with you. And I think they do a decent job at balancing that. Yeah, the relationship does seem balanced to a certain extent. I don't like the ending bit of it. Oh, oh, uh, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Nope, nope. Yeah, we'll save that. Yeah, but aside from that, I think that the relationship was well done. It wasn't too one-sided. It wasn't too piney. No, not at all. Yeah. And the other part of this that they infuse into Gwen's character is great. And, you know, this isn't something you would have seen or definitely didn't see in a Spider-Man movie 10 years before is Gwen's side of this struggle. This is a cop's kid. She knows the fear of seeing someone you love walk out the door every day and not being sure if they're going to make it home at night. Yeah, she says that. And I think that's admirable for her to say that out loud to him. Yeah, it's a very mature place. Yeah. And that was something I really connected with, you know, on a much smaller scale. Uh, last year's deployment was not fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still, I was not in a situation that far too many military spouses are in, but still there were some, some very tense moments, some tense times. Yeah. So yeah, this is something a lot of people live with every day. Spouses, kids, parents, you know, So I very much appreciate them taking the time for it. Right. But when she does speak about it, Peter isn't, he's listening to her, but he's not really listening to her. He's more interested in making out with her. Well, you know what I think this movie also speaks to? Girls mature faster than boys. True. Yeah. All right. Finally, we have reached our villains. I do so love my villains. (laughs) Yeah, there's not much to love in these villains. Well, see, that's the thing is I found myself very frustrated because I liked Kurt Connors, but there was so much lost, missed potential with his story. Yeah, I think that they could have fleshed him out a lot more than just being, oh, boo-hoo, I don't have an arm and that's why I'm doing this. Yeah. I wish they had taken out all the crap about Peter's parents and devoted more time to Connors because there was so much here that they could have mined. 
They could have, yes. But I was actually glad to see Peter's parents for once. You're not going to say that next week. (laughs) Oh, I love my small pleasures. Okay, so I was going to say something else about the dad, but it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to want to hold that thought. All right. So as somebody who has struggled with chronic illness most of my adult life, I totally get where Connors is coming from here. And that's why I think he should have been portrayed in a more sympathetic light, not just because of his inner turmoil about his arm, but given the fact that he stood up to Ratha and accepted being fired, knowing like this guy's already killed my colleague and his wife, but stood up to him no less. Yeah, but it's also implied that he didn't stand up to him at that time, and which is why he's still around. Ah, you're right about that. That's a good point. Yeah, so he's basically got a spine now. I'm thinking he probably knew after the fact, after the Parkers were killed, not before. That's not something that, you know, Ratha or villain would advertise beforehand, you know? No, I think it's more like the partners disagreed and Connors went with the Oscorp side of things. But after the accident, he put two and two together. But he still stuck around after that. Yeah, I would have loved more on that. Yeah, me too. As part of the fleshing out. Right. And I really wish they would have explored his whole philosophy more. So his whole thing is he wants to create a world without weakness through this cross-species regeneration. Mm -hmm. What we see is a broken man who has never gotten over the loss of his arm, never adjusted to that reality and accepted what is. Yeah, and that is something I have a problem with. Me too, a big one. So the other thing he never understood is that this didn't have to be a disability. I wish the movie had made an effort to show that missing a limb is not necessarily a weakness. It's something that makes a person weak or less than, but that this is a distorted, unhealthy view that Connors has of himself. Like right. the fact that he is depressed and unfulfilled has nothing to do with missing his arm. Correct. It's the fact that he thinks he's lesser than or right. incomplete. But at the same time, I find myself thinking, this is a famous like high level scientist making big bucks. How does he not have a state of the art prosthetic? Yeah, exactly. With all the brain power he has and what he has available to him he could have had a prosthetic yeah it makes no sense it doesn't but it could also play into this isn't real you know it's still fake i'm still broken i'm still less than maybe that's why he didn't want that there was a certain like dr house obstinance about it or that could have been there or should have been there Mm-hmm. In, because it just didn't make sense. Like this guy should have a prosthetic unless he's got some personal ideological problem with that. Like similar to the way, not comparing the two, but in a similar way to there are a lot of deaf people who refuse cochlear implants. Right. And beyond the personal stuff with Connors, 
I feel like the movie just ignores the fact that on a macro level, he's talking about eugenics. Actually, in the first half, when he's talking about regrowing limbs and things like that, it's not so much about eugenics, but once he has had his first dose is when things start getting a bit iffy there. Yeah. Eugenics is the world's most slippery slope. We all know where that shit goes. Mm -hmm. And the movie makes absolutely no effort to go there. Yeah. And his progression from I'm not going to do human trials to being desperate enough to inject himself and then suddenly doing this whole, oh, humans are pathetic and weak and I'm going to change us into a better species. There is no gradual progression there right and please maybe you can tell me how the hell is he setting up this crazy lab in the sewer i don't know how the hell did his lab coat fit him when he grew 10 times larger (laughs) oh you know speaking of the company who's manufacturing those lab coats they need to advertise with this movie because it went through a lot before he finally tore it off (laughs) Like, this movie is their marketing plan finished. (laughs) And, you know, here's the other thing about Lizard himself. We've got this giant prehistoric-looking creature destroying New York. Um, At the very least, where's the National Guard? How about the Marines? (laughs) You know, this cannot just be an NYPD operation. I am very much against the militarization of American police that's happened in this country. But you know what? For a giant lizard, give me some tanks. (laughs) In that case, it's warranted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's another question. I'm not sure if you noticed this. Did you see Connors' wedding ring? No, I didn't. Okay. There are times he's clearly wearing a wedding band. And, you know, that's a choice by the costume department. Right. And I'm thinking... Is he married this whole time? Like, is somebody at home, like, waiting for him? Are we supposed to think maybe his wife left him because of his arm? Like, what's what's the deal? Yeah, you know, like, when Peter shows up at his house, he's alone. There's nobody else. It looks like a pretty clean, single person's house. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem to have life to it. And I think that's telling. Maybe he's divorced. Maybe he left his wife. I don't think his wife left him because that would have been played into, oh, the bitch left me. And that's this is my villain origin story. I think it's more like he left or the relationship just fizzled out because of his obsession with him being incomplete or lesser than. Yeah, that's something we needed to know. Yeah. And also he wasn't able to move on. Hence, he still continued to wear the wedding ring. And it's extra frustrating when a good screenwriter can take care of that with one line. Yeah. Or just not make him wear a ring. Yeah. Easy enough. So while Connors really should have been the sympathetic villain who, you know, could be seen as a victim who lost his mind. You know, I really, I think it would have been great to see Connors really losing it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I think they really tried. Yeah, they tried to make him sympathetic. And he is for the most yeah, part a, a sympathetic bit. character. Yes, but 
they didn't do it as well as they could have. It's Rafa who should have been the true villain of this movie. Yeah, and Irfan Khan has the chops to do it. This guy had the Parkers killed. He basically threatens to kill Connors. He shows no regard for human life. He doesn't care about the ramifications of of his experiments at all. And this dude is willing to test the serum on unsuspecting veterans. Like, that's movie speak for this is a real bad guy testing on veterans. You know, it's an old trope. Yeah. For a reason, because it's really happened. But Rafa is basically a non-entity. He becomes one, yeah, after like 15 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Once the bridge debacle happens, he's gone. Yeah. Peter saves him, and we never see this bastard get his comeuppance. He's just forgotten. Actually, did he save him? I mean, I know he... Yeah, he pulls back the car. No, he webbed the car so that it didn't fall into the water. But that's, all, that's it. That's all we see. That's it. Right. We don't see him actually being saved like we see the kid being saved. Yeah, but we don't see him die either. He's just gone. I know. He could have been injured. <laughs> oh, no. Which could have actually fueled his determination. Well, what we needed to see here, what we should have seen is Peter discovering Ratha was actually the one who had his parents killed. And mm-hmm. go after him too like let that be the end of the movie instead of the crap we got have him (laughs) go after ratha and have george stacy or another uh living cop arrest him or go to the media have him investigate like this guy needs to be taken down in some way yeah they kind of forgot about him and they kind of forgot about peter's parents too because that's part of his motivation in this movie is like what happened? What really happened to my parents? And that all that and the Ben stuff comes to nothing. Yeah. Dead and forgotten. All right. So let's deal with the last 10 to 15 minutes of this movie that drive me crazy. <laughs> okay. I mean, so, aside from the crane situation, that was fantastic. Oh, God. <laughs> so when it comes to George Stacy's final request which dennis leary does a great job with this scene i am totally fine with this it is perfectly justified this is a cop it's a lifetime cop he knows exactly how hard it is to be with somebody who lives such a dangerous life and he also wants his kid he wants his kid to be safe yeah i get that so yeah in his dying breath perfectly reasonable for him to tell peter stay away from my daughter and Again, showing he's a loving father, it's fitting that his last thoughts are about protecting his child. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have a problem here with his 180. I had a problem prior to this when all this time Captain Stacy had a hard-on for Spider-Man and said he wanted to get him off the streets. And the minute mm-hmm. he realizes it's his daughter's boyfriend, suddenly he's, uh, you know, ally number one. Oh, that worked for me. I was totally fine with that because I didn't see this as, oh, it's my daughter's boyfriend. I saw this as, holy fuck, there's a giant lizard destroying the city and he's headed for the place my daughter is at. Cops are no match for this guy. I've got to let this guy with superpowers do what needs to be done to save my kid. But they don't sell it that way because before he gets onto the helicopter, 
the other cops are telling him that we have a lizard heading towards Oscorp. And the first thing he says is, I want Spider-Man off the street. He's not even acknowledging that the lizard is on the way. And again, everybody can see that the lizard is creating havoc. And these cops have been converted into lizards themselves. But he still has practically an entire platoon trying to shoot Spidey. I think there's some denial going on there with Stacy in, in those moments of believing that the NYPD can deal with this and, you know, we don't need this vigilante, but this is his kid. And I think that breaks through the wall on that. When it, it's your kid's safety, everything else goes out the window. Yeah, I get that. I totally get that. But I feel like it was not done in the right way. It felt too convenient for me. Okay, that's fair. And, you know, to be fair to Peter, this is a rough spot to be put in by a dying man. When yeah, you're it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally get that. I mean, him being there when his girlfriend's father is dying, in any case, is going to be problematic. Definitely. And especially knowing that that Captain Stacy died trying to save Peter. Yeah, and that's missing. I need Peter to have some guilt about that, and he doesn't. He doesn't have guilt about anything in this movie. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah, it's a it's a problem, especially here, because it's not only the he died trying to save me, but it's the I'm the superhero and couldn't save him like mm -hmm. there's so many disconnects and it doesn't flow in a linear way peter's yeah. story yeah earlier on while we were talking about the guilt that's the reason why i was getting confused because i never saw any guilt yeah it's it's a tough thing between what peter feels and the what the movie shows us it's hard for me to articulate mm-hmm so I am going to go back to 2005 here. I am team Gwen with this all the way when she calls out Peter for not going with her to her father's funeral. Like, yes, you made him a promise. But Jesus Christ, her father this just died. What is wrong with you? Yeah, you have to be there. Hell, even when they weren't in a relationship together, she was still more supportive when Ben died. It would have made more sense to me if he had that guilt. If he had, if he said to Gwen, I couldn't save him, you know, and that was included. But here I'm just like, dude, you're an idiot. And I guess maybe they, they partly want us to chalk this up to, oh, what a stupid teenage boy. But no, no, I don't buy that for a second. And also the fact that he's too guilty that his fa that her father died. That's an old trope. Come on. We've seen that in Daredevil so much, among other things. That is true. That just feeling guilty is not an excuse to be shitty towards other people. No, it's not. But it would be better than this, at least, than what we get. Yeah, he, ha he does not explain anything to her. He just leaves her out in the cold. When she's coming to him for some kind of comfort or some explanation... He gives her nothing. Right. Yep. And Gwen here, uh, to her credit, she figures it out. She knows her father well enough 
to realize that George made him promise. But in a way, I feel like she's excusing his behavior by saying that. Exactly. She should be mad at him, irrespective of what her dad said. Well, the good thing is I think Stone plays it well enough that she's still pissed. Yeah, she does. But I think that the fact that she figures it out shouldn't have happened. Or even if she figured it out, it's not an excuse for him to do what he did. Put it this way. This is where the movie should have ended. It, she shouldn't have said it. The, he made you promise. That line shouldn't happen. She should just walk away, roll credits. And if that would have happened, then it would have made Spidey look like an absolute dick, which they can't do. But if they had done it well, if they, if they had fleshed out his character better, they could have definitely played it more as the struggle of Peter Parker. Because yeah. he is more so maybe than any other character in the comics, he gets shit on by life. Yeah, he does. And had they done it in a better way and had we seen some more altruistic tendencies from Peter through the movie till this point, I would have bought it, but not the way this movie is the way it is. Instead, what happens is for no apparent reason that we are shown in any way, uh, Peter flips on what was a super intense and emotional decision and uh, tells MJ in class that he has every intention of breaking his promise to George. Yeah, and she smiles, which... Yeah. <sighs> I mean, if I were her, I would have turned around and beaten the shit out of him. Yep. Yep. I'd been like, you're not in this class anymore. Nope. (laughs) You're changing your schedule. Yeah. I mean, if he was going to break his promise anyway, at least he could have been there for her. Right. It makes no sense. I would have felt a lot better about the movie if it had ended differently. They just ruined it for me in that last 10 minutes. Yeah. It was ruined for me too. And adding to that in the past, he was always rather selfish or self-centered. This didn't end well at all. This is not a mature, altruistic hero. Yeah. And you know what's funny is that after having this discussion with you, I like him less now than I did coming into this episode. (laughs) So that's on you. Okay. I don't know what I'm going to say after the second movie, considering you've been popping my balloons. (laughs) Uh, You're going to say I hate you at the very least. Okay. All right. I say that anyway, so. (laughs) To the movie, to anyone in your vicinity after watching it. Uh Uh-huh. To Jamie Foxx. A lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that brings The Amazing Spider-Man, our 100th episode, to a close. Yay! It is hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that we have done, that we have made it this far. Yeah, it doesn't feel real, does it? It's, it's crazy. I mean, two years ago, when you uh, conned me into this. Hey, hey. You did. Hey. You did. <laughs> I kind of did. Yes. 
<laughs> I still can't believe you agreed. I know. Neither can I. <laughs> I was still fairly sick at the time. I was an unemployed mess. I hadn't worked for five years. And in these 100 episodes, I have become a healthy woman who owns her own business. I mean, mm-hmm. doing this with you has just completely transformed my life in the best ways possible. See, I was going to make a stupid joke. Now I feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, not just you, we are very fortunate because, you know, not everybody out there who works together can say they're also best friends, but I can't imagine my life without you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been incredible. Like, I still can't believe whenever I tell anyone how we met and how we started this, it feels surreal. It feels like a plot for a movie. (laughs) The only question is, I don't know if this is going to be a lighthearted, empowering movie or it's going to turn into one of those thriller, crazy uh, serial killer movies. (laughs) And like, in addition to you, I've made new friends through doing this show. Yeah. That's something I never thought would happen or that I'd be happy about it if it did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my whole goal with getting in touch with you in the first place was to make more friends. And we've not only become close friends, we've made other friends too. Yeah. It's incredible. And, you know, working on this podcast, bringing this to you guys out there every week, it has been so empowering personally like after getting through 2021 working on this show full-time handling it with a deployment trying to sell a house on a deadline a lupus diagnosis a cross-country move i feel like i can fucking do anything yeah and this all happened in a matter of three months yeah yeah, I say anything with the exception, perhaps, of meeting Tom Hiddleston at a Comic-Con. That's still off the table. Yeah, I 100% agree with this because this is something that nobody knows yet. We haven't spoken about this on the podcast. When we interviewed Cece Eyes, she mentioned <laughs> briefly... <laughs> I was speaking of outing people, you bitch. <laughs> This is like real behind the scenes stuff, guys. You really need to listen to this. So we, Chris and I were on FaceTime while we interviewed Cece. And she briefly mentioned that she was doing some stuff for Loki and she met Tom. And this one, she changed every (laughs) color of the rainbow. I did not know till then when people write in books that someone got became green. I always thought that was exaggeration. (laughs) I finally saw it for the first time in my life. (laughs) She was gonna throw up. I managed to keep Cece talking for a few minutes till this one calmed down. And I'm glad that she didn't have a stroke. Well, I mean, if that was gonna come up, then let it be our 100th episode. It feels appropriate. And, you know, on top of all of this, the podcast has made me a better person by opening my mind and my eyes to things I haven't seen before, watching movies, watching shows. And, you know, that's really important because 
when you broaden your perspective on the content you watch, you bring that perspective with you everywhere you go and it extends out into the real world. Right. So in general, I am just so grateful to all of you listening for your support through these first hundred episodes and many more to come, guys, because we have so much planned. Yeah, it's been an incredible journey so far. I still remember the time we were trying to figure out the name of the podcast. (laughs) I don't even recall anything else we came up with. I don't think I want to. I think I've blocked it out. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... We did come up with some really shitty names and then this one. And I said, you know, that's the thing with this whole journey so far that we've had. It's that everything has just been kind of like I've been saying it off the cuff and then it happens. I off the cuff said, let's do a podcast. And he said, yes, I don't know why. I came up with this name thinking you'd shit on it. And you said, no, let's go with it. And similarly, like, I've always had a dream of having this kind of a business with this level of of having fun while I'm working with someone and doing something that is one that is my own. You know, my business life prior to this has been working on projects for clients. And as much as I love doing that, it wasn't it wasn't my own. And here we are creating something of our own, you know. And it's incredible. And like I said, it feels like a movie. And I'm so, so grateful. Every day I thank my stars that we met and we did this. And you guys actually want to hear us jabber for some reason. (laughs) You know? You know what the next step is, right? What? We have to figure out who's going to play us in this movie you have in your mind. I think that's a 10-year problem, you know? There'll be a different band of artists then. We can figure it out then. And shave some years off of ourselves in the process. Yes, definitely for me, for sure. Yes. And also we need to keep in mind what kind of a movie it is, right? We don't know. We can't choose the actors till then. Well, let's hope we live to see it then. Yeah, that is true. All right, everybody. So as we've mentioned several times, Next week, we will be covering The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And just want to give you guys a little tease. We are launching our Patreon in April. And we are very excited about it. She's excited about it because I'm not looking forward to the movie. (laughs) So here's the deal, guys. Here's what we're doing for our Patreon. Once a month, we are going to release a commentary on a Marvel-ish movie. And what does that mean, you might ask? And that means we are taking some of our very well-loved actors and going through their IMDb and finding movies and recording an episode on them. Yes, and we're sticking with movies that have multiple Marvel actors in them. Some of them will be big-name Marvel actors, some of them smaller names, because we just want to do that movie and we're looking for an excuse. Yeah, I've already conned her into doing The Matrix. Eventually. (laughs) Kill me. I know somebody's yelling at me in their car right now, but does that really surprise anybody that I don't like The Matrix? Come on. No worries, though. I have my revenge because the first movie we are covering for April is a doozy. (sighs) Maybe you guys can guess what it is just based on a little clue. Put it this way. 
I have been waiting for seven years to have a platform to rant about this particular movie that is uh, classified as horror, but is actually an unintentional comedy. And I tell you what, if anybody actually guesses this correctly, we'll see how well you guys know us based on our reactions and, and everything we've said so far. Anybody who guesses this right before we release it is going to get a shout out on the podcast. Yeah, and here's another little hint. It makes me see red. Oh, that is quite the layered clue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lord, give me strength. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. And if you guys have really enjoyed the podcast for the last two years, think of it as a little hundredth episode present for us. We would really, really appreciate a review on iTunes or uh, Spotify is also now allowing reviews. Yeah, please, please. I do like the validation. (laughs) (laughs) No, really, it does make our day to read your comments and reviews and stuff like that. So please. It does. And it really helps us promote the show. Yes, it does. So join us next week for The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And let's see whether I'm still sane by the end of that, because I'm, I'm getting a bit worried. <laughs> In the meantime, come chat with us on Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Madams. And for more content and our blog, check out our website, themarvelousmadams.com, where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. Twenty-seven. What? Twenty-seven. Bodies. Oh. <laughs> I I really worry about you sometimes. And then you tell me you watched the Ninja Turtles like fifty-seven times. It again, five years old. And then you say that you were watching it now. So look, I have a little fat kid inside of me. My husband has a five-year-old boy inside of him. That's why.